take a look. Take a look at this passage out of Deuteronomy. Do we have it? There we go. Now, write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. And when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. Oh my goodness, there is so much in here. There's, there's the grace of God. He's saying, I'm going to give you a great land, but I want to tell you right now, I know you're going to be an, a monstrous disappointment to me. However, I'm going to prepare you to come back and get in my good graces. And it's going to be with a song, because a song will survive when the law does not. And the song will survive when you've forgotten about everything else. And your kids will sing the song, and it will shame you back to repentance. Wow, what will finally crack their consciousness? A song. A song have that kind of power? Yeah, sure. Songs do that. Songs taught early and learned early make a huge impact in our life. There's a transition point in our lives that every, every time we hit a new road, it's uh, dating or marriage or children or whatever, a song matters to us. And it will fill in that point, and it will stay with us. And if, if I could give young people advice on much, and I don't do that. I don't know if you've noticed or not, because, uh, you know, you guys are smart. You'll figure it out. You've got great ministers. But if I would give you advice, I would say, learn a lot of songs and different kinds of songs. Don't just listen to one kind of song. If you're, if you're always listening to country music, for example, you might be surprised that there are more than three chords. And, and if you... And if all you do is listen to jazz, you might be surprised that we can actually end a song and resolve the note. Or uh, if all you do is listen to classical, you might be surprised that there's something called melody. Uh, and it's, it's a lovely thing. Every, everything has something to give. And so listen to them. And the reason is, there comes a moment. I hate to warn you guys, but it really does. There comes a moment in your life you cannot fight it. Every kid says they will. It's biological. We wake up one day and go... I have learned every song I'm going to. I will not listen to any others. Remember the first time my kids gave me a little iPod music player thingy? And this is back in the Stone Age of them. And they said, this can hold 20,000 songs. I said, I, I don't know 20,000 songs. And they said, but you could learn new ones and put it on there. And I went, no, no. I'll, I'll put the four I like on it. Um, <laughs> I, some of you are nodding. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Songs need to be learned early. There are songs that ask God. There's some songs that scare me. We sing some songs that ask God to search us, find any darkness within us, and clear our hearts. And I'm going, but gently, gently, because we bruise easy, we break easy. Could you, could you do it nicely, God? But years ago, there was a worse song. Oh. None of self and all of thee. Do you remember that one, old people? Oh, I do. It started off by saying all of self and none of thee. But every verse, you moved 
more and more to the last verse was none of self. And it was, Lord, at last thy love has conquered. None of self and all of thee. Now, I was in a dilemma as a young man singing this, you know, nine, ten years old. And that is, I was starting to lie during the song. There's somewhere between the, the second, third, and fourth verse, and it did vary according to the week I had, that I was singing a lie to God, but I couldn't drop out because we were in small churches. And if you're in a church of 25 and drop out, they see you. <laughs> and then they know what kind of week you had. And I figured it was easier to lie to God and ask for forgiveness during communion than it was to let the church know I had been naughty. So, songs do that. They get to us. Couples have a song. If you, guys, if you don't know your song, you've got one. You better find a way to fake it. Sometimes it takes them back to their original vows, their original feelings, their intentions. Songs at Christmas can break your heart. Some of them are meant to break your heart. Some of them are meant to, you know, happy Christmas war is over, to, well, I hope you're having fun. You know, and, or the, I've, I've, I've been told many times the worst one is Christmas shoes or something like that. Never heard it? Because I don't have to. So, but there are songs that will break your heart, or songs that will make you happy, or songs that, um, you know, Maybe it's cold outside, which is just quite uncomfortable when you realize that it sounds a little rapey. Uh, there, there is, um, there, there's, that's, there's, there's some not, that, don't do that to women. That didn't seem right at all. Songs get in our lives. No wonder singing such a big part of worshiping God and of our daily life. Remember those passages in Ephesians and Colossians that we've read? They're not about gathering on Sunday to sing. They're about your life. They never mention the, um, the assembly. They're about your life. Let them be full of song. Now, some of you are saying, but I can't sing. You know, I really get that because I'm not a, not a singer either. But God does say, make a joyful noise. We're in. We can do that. You know, somebody else is singing alto. You're singing also, but just go for it. <laughs> just go for it. When we sing, we are singing our faith. I've had people say, we sing a better theology than we preach. And I think that's probably true. Because these, these songs are not on the fly. They're not, as sermons are prepared, and they're worked, and we have notes, and some people, I'm told, use them. And, and, and that's all out there. But a song, somebody sat down and worked this out and then condensed it. It amazes me. Song, I'm not a songwriter. It amazes me how much songwriters can get into so few words. Now, not everybody, you know, we, we always have Bob Dylan if you want 15 verses for every song. But most songs, if you look at it, use very few words. But they're very, very powerful. They find a way to get in. That amazes me. We're singing our faith. We are saying this is reality. C.S. Lewis said, Praise is understanding what is true and then expressing it in praise. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell in you. Let it live in there. And how does it come out? Through songs. And I'm not hurt at all that it doesn't say, and it comes out through sermons. Because it, it doesn't. When it lives in you, songs come out. Now think about that. A sermon is at you. 
We even call these rooms. We don't hear. We call this the family room because we're in complete denial. But other churches call it auditorium, the place you sit down and listen. And a sermon is preached to you. It's at you. It's delivered by somebody else. You may not agree with everything that's said or with anything that's said. You might not even be listening the whole time because somebody's got to check your phone. You, it's, they're not there to not be checked. And, and you might miss a point, or you might like one point and not hear the next two because you think another one. We're human beings. We are, we are passive during the sermon. But when you sing, you're part of it. You're part of the community. You're part of the lyric. You're a part of the story. Think, think, for example, how different would communion be for you if I or Mark just took it for you, in front of you, and told you how we felt? Probably not that powerful for you. It would be another checked box. All right, we did that. Move on. But when we get to come to tables, or we get to take the bread and the cup, and we get to pray, and we get to interact with each other and with God, that's a true thin place, and so it is with song. Don't let somebody else sing the songs for you. Sing. My um, father eventually learned how to uh, do a note and, and hold a tune. But he tells this, and my father's voice would blow the windows out of this place. He always thought that me, this is me screaming right now. This is as loud as I get. Uh, he always thought I wasn't trying hard enough. And I said, no, dad, come on. Uh, when, before I was born, God said I could have your voice or hair. I went with hair. You know, uh, it was foolish. I was a baby. Actually, it was an ovum at the time. But still, I made my choice. And I have to live with it. But he, would, he, he cannot sing not loud ever. You don't want my dad singing a lullaby terrify you. <laughs> but he learned to sing, and the way he did it was by realizing he couldn't. And so he would always get by good singers and sing real loud with them. And he said, they kept moving. And I'm going, right, right. I have no idea what was going on there, Dad, but fair enough. But he learned. John Wesley put it this way, sing lustily with good courage Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of it being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. I don't know what those were. I think what he meant was not hymns. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping. Because Wesley was a long time before, you know, Ozzy, and, 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 and so I'm not sure who he was pointing at. But... Um, I think it was secular songs, maybe pub songs or, or songs that you sang when you were drunk or the like. He's saying, you used to sing really loud, and that's a good point. We often sing louder with our favorites at a concert than we do of our faith in our God. And there, isn't, there is something wrong with that. We need to show more love for God than we do for others. Songs not only are powerful, they get you in one direction. Soldiers, sailors, and marines know this. They run to cadences. They call them out. They're, they're spoken, but it's a form of a song. It's, it's a cadence spoken in meter. I'm not going to quote any of these cadences to you, because this is a church. And many of the, most of the language, or the point of the language, uh, is, is not acceptable in this particular venue. But it gets them going. Do you remember, and those of you that were uh, served in Vietnam know, 
You hooked up speakers in, in the slicks, in the, in the Hueys. You, you've hooked up speakers and such to blast out everything from Hendrix to whatever. Why? It got you ready to go into hell. It got you ready to move forward. Whenever I uh, watched some guy, I wasn't working out because it's not required. Um, and, you know, I know people take vitamins and walk, you know, they, they care about their health. But these people are just afraid of meeting Jesus. So I'm, I'm I, but I, I've watched these people. And sometimes they'll have earbuds in. And I guarantee you they're not listening to soft rock. They're not listening to Barry Mandelow. Okay, let's be fair. Nobody's listening to Barry Manilow, but <laughs> I mean, we listened once, we acknowledged our error, we moved on, we moved on. Even the French Foreign Legion, if you've ever been in Paris during a military parade, and I know that doesn't happen often, but it is very odd when the French Foreign Legion shows up because they refuse to march at the speed of everybody else. So they always put them at the back. And as they march out, they're always a crowd favorite. They march slower. And as they march, there's no band playing. They're singing at the top of their lungs. And they, you can, you can, no, don't do this, but you can go buy CDs of the songs of the French Foreign Legion. They're in French, by the way, little clue in the title. But they're not about war. They're not about battle. They're about stupid things. I mean, the, a sausage, seriously? And it's, it's not a metaphor. It's just sausage that they eat and enjoy. And you're going, what? It doesn't matter. They're all singing the same song. That's what matters. They're all on the same page. Most countries don't start sporting events with official national anthems. You do here. Uh, some do in Britain, but not very many. Uh, over here, in fact, in Detroit... We would go to a Tigers game, and I highly recommend that if you're in Detroit. That's a great stadium, sitting up there high, and you can look out over the Detroit River and such, over into Canada. And often, they would play the national anthem, both of Canada and the United States, and people would stand for both. It's kind of a thing, you know, hands across the water thing. They, it was a neat thing. It was a cool ritual. And until recently, in American schools, there's, there is no equivalent of this in, in Britain or anywhere else I've been. But in American schools, you would stand up and pledge allegiance. Now, was that a, can we pick holes and why we should do this out of the other? I think, you know, yeah, it, imp it embeds patriotism in little hearts. But the biggest thing was we did it as community. You stood as community and did this. You know, Second Chronicles would not crack the top 25 of my favorite books in the Bible, but there are, there are some major insights in Second Chronicles. In Second Chronicles 20, the Israelites are facing their old enemies, Ammon and Moab. Both of them, separately, are more powerful than Israel. Together, this is terrifying. Look at their situation in Second Chronicles chapter 6 through 13. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are, are you not the God who's in heaven? By the way, they are. They're asking him to wake up and get moving. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. 
Our, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it and built a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade. This is your fault. <laughs> Interesting what's in the Old Testament. To invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Ooh, I love that line. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. By the way, when you pray to God, talk to him directly. Uh, there are times, I think, that if we read an Old Testament prayer, we would have people stomping out in a huff saying, they're not respecting God. Really? God seems to actually like it when you wrestle with him. See the book of, uh, of Kings and Joshua and the like? There are always wrestling. Look at Jacob. They're always wrestling with God. In fact, the name Israel, which he gave them, means those who wrestle with God. There you go. You're allowed to. So come before the throne. Let it be known. They're all standing there saying, we're in bad shape. So God responds to this this way. He said, listen. <laughs> listen. He's a parent. King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is yours. Not, it's not yours, but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. I want to tell you right now that that's not a battle plan that gets me really excited to show up. How about you? It's kind of like we're going up against Jericho. All right, how do we take it? Well, we're going to walk around it. Then what are we going to do? Well, tomorrow we're going to, we're going to walk around it. Well, then what? Well, the next day, and see if you can see this coming, we're, we're, we're going to walk. And, and, that after, after, and on the seventh day, what do we do? Well, we're, we're going to walk again. Uh, but then we're going to play some tunes. Um, God doesn't want us to, know, to think it's us who does it. So he says, he says, show up. That's very important. Have faith, show up, and God will do what God will do. How many times have I had to tell myself that in my life? So they obeyed. They went to the battle, but they did not go unarmed. Along with the weapons they would have carried as a matter of course, they had a secret weapon. Same chapter. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat, which, by the way, is one of the greatest names in history. I Name your kid Jehoshaphat. We need some. Stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. 
After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. We sing that probably a different tune. And he began to sing and praise, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. We have no idea what happened. The Lord did it. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men, the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. Ooh, trouble in the camp. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Okay. Show up. Sing your faith. Sing your community. Sing, this is who we are. We are the people that believe in God, and we're showing up. And let God do what God does. He's good at it. They gathered, by the way, more plunder than, than they could carry. It took them three days to collect it and keep going back and forth home with full carts full of plunder. The story ends like this, same chapter. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. They're, they're happy. They're singing. They sang when they went out and they were scared. They sang when they came back full of praise. Singing. But we need to talk about something here. I don't want you to think that in the Bible, every time people went out to stand in their place before the Lord, they survived. Because they didn't always survive. Sometimes Daniel was able to come out of the fiery furnace, but there are other people that were thrown into furnaces that didn't come out. When the Bible talks about us surviving, it has a long view. It's not necessarily talking about this individual, this family, or even this nation. It is talking about the long term, the descendants, the faith. The faith survives. When Christians were herded into the Colosseum in Rome, they often sang as they were being torn apart by beast or slaughtered by gladiators. Their weapons were songs. Did they survive? The way we use language, we would say they did not. We would say they were struck down. However, the way the Bible people in those times used language, they would say, of course we survived. Because within a few hundred years, the Roman Empire was gone. And by the way, don't come up and say, no, it continued. What continued was the Holy Roman Empire, which was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. But other than that, it was wonderfully named. The Roman Empire ended the faith continued. And by the way, I'm not the first person to say that about Holy Roman Empire. I just can't remember who did. So you know, give credit elsewhere, not to me. Or blame. Blame is good. Uh, the, the Manilow thing, that was me. Um, Rome would no longer be an empire, but Christianity, as our brother told us, all over the world. The faith has survived. So songs aren't magical. And they're not going to guarantee that you're not going to have a bad day or your last day, but they are our protection, the weapons of our warfare, and they spread faster than you can imagine. Think of the Babylonians in Psalm 137. 
They demanded a song from the Israelites who were still captive. And the Israelites were so depressed they couldn't do a song. But they hung their instruments in the trees. Now watch it, because when we hear that, we think they're saying, I'm done with playing praise songs. I'm just putting it up there. No, no. They did that so that the wind would make the string sound and sing a song even when they could not. Whenever I get the opportunity to, to play one of the three chords I know up here, sometimes they, you do a cappella music here. Even singing that, if, it's, if you've got a well-made guitar, and every guitarist in here knows what I'm talking about, you feel the wood vibrating. It's ready. It wants to join in. That's what, you know, wood is a living thing, and that's, uh, it's an amazing thing if you study the acoustics of it. They hung their instruments up there so that there would still be songs even when they were too sad to sing them. Think about that. We need the songs. My wife and I came over from Scotland for a visit. Uh, we had to raise support. That was the only way we ever came back was we had to raise support. And I can remember the first day we were at, and I cannot remember the name of the congregation, but it was in Norfolk, Virginia. And it wasn't where we had gone. We'd gone to Granby Street, and this is another church, but this one had supported us. So we went there, and Cammie, of course, and I are not allowed to sit together because the preacher has to sit up front in, in these old school uh, churches. So I'm sitting there. And they start to sing, and I can't. Because we hadn't heard that many voices in so long a time. We hadn't heard our songs in so long a time that I got all choked up. I couldn't sing. Songs are important. You need them in your head. That's the way we respond to happy things, but also loss disappointment, death, financial setback. There's a reason why Mercy Me's song, Even If, was a huge hit and continues to be played. It gave words to those who wanted to profess their belief even when there's no evidence to hand for that faith. Some call that singing in the dark or whistling past the graveyard. I don't. I call it taking the battle to doubt. Doubt is our enemy, and sometimes we have to sing our way through it and remember our story. So what will we sing? Well, first of all, will we sing? Yeah, we have to sing. We will sing because it is commanded, and we are under our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please remember, he is our Savior, but he is also our Lord. If he says sing, we sing. It is also how the word dwells in us richly. Most of us don't meditate, and if you do meditate, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> because Eastern meditation is the one everybody thinks about, and that is to empty your mind. Don't do that. Too many people do that naturally. Let's not work to develop that skill. It's like Star Wars, guys flying a highly technical fighter and attacking a, a very determined enemy, and the voice is saying, don't think. I'm going, nah, I don't think that's a good strategy. I'm thinking calculus would come in handy here. I think understanding flight, and but anyway, moving on. We, we have to sing, and when we sing, we are filling our mind with one thing. Now think about that. 
When the Bible says meditation, that word means a repeated murmur. Not of a nonsense word, but of one thought, one idea, one phrase, one story. In the Bible, meditation is not emptying your mind, it's filling it. And song is the way most of us do our meditation. By singing, we, we build up others. And I've talked about this before, that there are times I go silent so I can hear you because your singing encourages me to get up and do the job I'm supposed to do. When we sing, we are waging war against our enemy because when our minds are full of the songs and theology that we have, there is not room for the devil. We are driving him off of our real estate and putting something there in place of him. Why don't you go ahead, Mark, and bring the team back up. Singing makes us stronger. It's how we glorify God in our hearts and in our community. There's a reason why when we came to Thin Places, we spent three times on singing, because it's a vital part of our life. It's behind every commercial. It is behind, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the, um, the soundtrack for our lives. Therefore, let us make sure we are singing the songs of God and using them as the weapons of our warfare, stating, this we believe. Amen, church.